Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Mojiella Wodeal. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast that helps you navigate the post-row hellscape. We dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with our guests, the abortion providers and activists working on the ground. Plus, we have amazing comedians to help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your pod fix. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. M-S-W Media. Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Well, as you know, we embrace diversity here at the Stephanie Miller Show, and I've never seen so much diversity in underwears as Tomboy X. <gasps> I got the new rainbow ones. I even got the rainbow shirt. You can use it as a t-shirt or jammies. Fancy? I got the awesome. And the, the, that's a v-neck. It's so pretty. Okay. Listen, it's like nobody took the time to design authentic underwear for strong, independent, right? Comfortable with yourself, people like us. Tomboy X did. They created underwear that makes you feel like, you know, this underwear doesn't just fit. It gets me. Yes, I'm feeling proud. So I got the entire pride line. The underwear, I've got the uh, jammies. I've got the t-shirt. Tomboy X since 2014 has been making brazenly unapologetic underwear for all bodies, all shapes, all genders, all sizes, really all sizes from boxer briefs to bikinis, boy shorts to bras. Every pair of Tomboy X is created to fit you and how you see yourself and they've expanded way beyond underwear too and with their love at first wear guarantee you can order risk-free while you find your perfect fit discover your inner tomboy let me get you started with my special discount go to tomboy x under the code stephanie to get an extra 20 percent off that's an extra 20 percent off when you enter stephanie at tomboyx.com that's tomboyx.com restrictions apply see site for details hi i'm francis callier and i'm angela v shelton and we are Frangela, and welcome to The, the Final, Final Word. Word. The Final Word with Frangela. Frangela. The Final Word. 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 Ah! Thank what? you so much for being here. We want to remind you to go to sexyliberal.com to make sure that you check out all the podcasts on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network and check out the virtual shows of the Sexy Liberal virtual tour because, I mean, you got John Fugel saying, Hal Sparks and Stephanie Miller, get to it. What plus a ton of celebrity cameos? You're just denying yourself joy. If you don't go watch this show, so go to sexyliberal.com like right after you listen to this. Also, go to patreon.com and become a Frangela Patreon. If you want to support a black owned business, support these two black women. Just a black owned business. That's right. We completely appreciate it. You are the wind beneath our wings and everything in between. And thank you so much to everyone who has been a Patreon. We know times are not easy for, for anyone or most of us, the 99% of us, and we thank you. You can also go to Cameo.com and put in Frangela 
and get a specialized video from us. That's right. Maybe a birthday message for you or for a friend. You can give it as a gift, a pep talk, a tell your kids to go to bed, a tell your neighbors they got to stop having parties, whatever it is. And join us every Tuesday on Facebook for Idiot of the Week Live at 1 p.m. Pacific. That's right. You can watch Idiot of the Week before it comes out. Like, you're ahead of the game, too. Unstupid. And every Friday morning, join us for the third hour of the Stephanie Miller Show for the Black Power Hour. Yes. So let's get started. Uh, Yesterday... As we're recording today on Wednesday, our president went to Tulsa and to use the word celebrate, I don't think is the yeah. right word. Commemorate. Um, commemorate is a better Bring attention word. to. Yes. Perhaps. The 100th anniversary of the Tulsa race massacre. Yeah. And I, and he's the first U.S. president to do that. And, and he said, this quote, my fellow Americans, this was not a riot. This was a massacre. And um, on the centennial of what was known as the Black Wall Street, a hugely successful community of Black people post-slavery called Green in the Greenwood neighborhood of Tulsa that was absolutely destroyed um, completely with bombs, with with people state-sanctioned. This wasn't a mob. These were people who had been deputized, people who were in the government. It was an all-out assault and destruction, really out of to stop Black people from accumulating any wealth or prosperity out of hate and ignorance they proceeded to burn loot and kill until hundreds were dead and 35 city blocks were destroyed and that's the an important thing that i I want people to understand and remember this wasn't even when you watch when people watched um the watchmen right Mm -hmm. and you know and that scene that everybody talks about you, you know, you, you only still see, you know, in your mind and visually a couple of blocks, you know, a small part of a town of people being attacked. This was 35 city blocks. Do you know how many people it takes to go and terrorize 35 city fucking blocks? How many there are many cities that aren't that in? large. That's what I'm saying. And that history, you know, has been erased. Not by accident, on purpose, by the government in Tulsa, by officials in Tulsa, by teachers in Tulsa. That government, that that information has been erased and kept from you. So before you start beating yourself necessarily up about not knowing about it, most people haven't. But now, as one person said yesterday during some of the interviews, and I think this is really important, now it can't be said again. Now a U.S. president has gone there. We had a whole, every network, with the the exception of a few, perhaps, covered this. It can never be said again in this country that you don't know about Tulsa or you didn't have the opportunity to know about Tulsa because it's been told to you and all of us. And that's everyone. That's black people, white people, Latino people, Asian people, everybody. And it isn't the only one. The thing is, it's the one that we're commemorating these two days. The fact is there were... um, dozens and if not more than dozens of black cities and neighborhoods and areas that were prospering even post the end of you know the abandonment of reconstruction that were viciously and very methodically destroyed as a means to keep black people from achieving any kind of equality 
and mm-hmm. any kind of economic parity for for sure. Yeah, um, millions of dollars, and they don't know how many lives. That's right. We were talking about this yesterday, Francis, when we were watching, and we were discussing like them excavating. They began excavating some areas that they that they believe may have mass, some mass graves from those those two days of um, massacre. And we were kind of wondering, pondering between us, like, why would they do that? And then the answer came up. It's because they actually don't know yeah. how many people died. Yeah. They don't know how many people were killed. They don't let alone how they were killed. Um, because that information was absolutely destroyed, not recorded, and kept from everyone. Yeah. So besides destroying people in the city, you know, what what the true aim besides just pure hate was to destroy wealth. And so what the president announced is that he will be using federal purchasing power to grow contracting with small disadvantaged businesses, many of them minority owned by 50%. The White House said that this will translate to an additional $100 billion, $100 billion over five years. And for those of us who have read or listened to Heather McGee's The Sum of Us, what we know and have learned is... When we increase the purchasing power, the value, the wealth of, of minorities and other and women, um, but my, minorities, black people in this country, we all do better. America does better. So if black people get wealthier, if you are a white person listening to this podcast, what you need to understand is you will do better. Because we are a totality. If you're an Asian American, Pacific Islander, if you're Latino, if you're anything in between, if you're whatever, whatever, you will do better. In fact, that's the whole point of Heather McKee's book. And it's the thing, the thing, one of the biggest lies of the big lies is that by supporting civil rights or by supporting parity or reparations, you're taking something away from someone else. And that's a false analysis. It's simply not true. This living in this systemic racist society is taking away from all of us in very, as Francis said, very direct economic quantifiable ways, not to mention psychological, emotional, cultural, but absolutely economically. A lot of people, there was, you know, there was a a, a huge racist uh, guy who I think Heather McGee talks about in the early part of the book, who was a total segregationist. He thought black people weren't human, but he was Mm -hmm. against slavery because of the way it impoverished white people. Exactly. Exactly. And, and he thought that he, it was not, it, it was impoverishing white people in the South. And those stats bear true today. The poorest states in this country are the slave states. Because what they did was they got rid of education because they did not want to have, because they were told, you know, the reality was that, you know, separate was not equal. So they, they got rid of libraries because they didn't want black people coming into their libraries. They got rid of all of these public spaces, all of these public arts works. They got rid of, so they took away so many things. The because they simply mm-hmm. programs. They did. They simply did not want black people to participate in them. So nobody, even white people, everybody diminished because of it. And this is what is important about this president at this time, because he's not simply just showing up crying at Tulsa. No, he's putting money behind 
you know, these, these, his words, new competitive grants totaling 15 billion will target neighborhoods where people have been cut off from jobs, schools, businesses because of previous transportation investments. Biden is expected to announce that uh, the American Jobs Plan will also invest 31 billion to support minority owned small businesses. And that's very important because a lot of those small businesses are single mothers lifting people out of poverty, lifting children out of poverty, okay? So giving people access to wealth is very important. And I think one of the things that we've been talking about a lot, but is one of the things that happened particularly when we look at Tulsa is the destruction of intergenerational wealth, that Black people have not been able, due to legislation and practice, but legislated redlining, which is keeping people out, mortgages, keeping black families away from mortgages and home ownership. And home ownership is the way you pass on wealth in this country. That is perhaps around the world. <laughs> that is how that happens. And when you destroy black people's ability to do that, whether it be through um, a massacre where you physically burn down the property and then create a slew of laws so that black people can't buy anymore or government legal practices of housing discrimination and of mortgage discrimination and, and um, assessing people, black people's homes at lower values, that, that is what you do. That's what's happened to the black community. Yeah. And in the situation of Tulsa, I mean, really, this, this is just on the down low, our second time recording this podcast. We had a tech problem yesterday. Don't tell nobody. But we had a little tech issue, so we're doing it again. But I thought, Francis, you said it really beautifully yesterday about how this, that, that intergenerational wealth, how destroying that, and you look at Tulsa, what that might have meant. Like, who would those people have been? Like, the, the guy who owned yeah. the best hotel in the region, he could be Hilton right now. That's right. Well, as you know, we embrace diversity here at the Stephanie Miller Show, and I've never seen so much diversity in underwears as Tomboy X. <gasps> I got the new rainbow ones. I even got the rainbow shirt. You can use it as a t-shirt or jammies. Fancy? I got the awesome. And the, the, that's a V-neck. It's so pretty. Okay. Listen, it's like nobody took the time to design authentic underwear for strong, independent, right? Comfortable with yourself, people like us. Tomboy X did. They created underwear that makes you feel like, you know, this underwear doesn't just fit. It gets me. Yes, I'm feeling proud. So I got the entire pride line. The underwear, I've got the uh, jammies. I've got the t-shirt. Tomboy X since 2014 has been making brazenly unapologetic underwear for all bodies, all shapes, all genders, all sizes, really all sizes from boxer briefs to bikinis, boy shorts to bras. Every pair of Tomboy X has created a fit you and how you see yourself and they've expanded way beyond underwear too and with their love at first wear guarantee you can order risk-free while you find your perfect fit discover your inner tomboy let me get you started with my special discount go to tomboy x under the code stephanie to get an extra 20 percent off that's an extra 20 percent off when you enter stephanie at tomboyx.com that's tomboyx.com restrictions apply see site for details yeah. Did we get rid of Sarah, the black Sarah Lee? Did we get rid of, did they destroy? And they did. And it, this is the same thing that we always talk about in terms of education. You know, how many black Mozarts are, are we missing? How many Latino, um, um, incredible mu musicians that we're missing? How many, you know, because of poverty, because of racism. And the president uh, also declared an, a new interagency effort to address as exactly what Angela's talking about, inequity in home appraisal and to aggressively combat housing discrimination. 
we had an article uh, that we talked about, and we'll talk about it again. This woman, Carlette Duffy, she's a black homeowner in Indianapolis, right? Mm-hmm. She had her house uh, val- evaluated, valued, and it initially by two different companies. The first right. valuation came in at one hundred and twenty-five thousand, and the second came in even lower at one hundred and ten thousand. And she said, "You know, I don't think I think my house is worth more than that." So she called a friend of hers and she said, you know what, girl, can I borrow your husband? And he happened to be what? white. She said, I need to borrow your white man. You want to borrow my husband, Carlette? Why? Okay, girl. I mean, you can borrow him. I just don't know what that's going to do for you, but okay. Yeah. So Carlette does that. She then goes back home, depersonalizes her home. She takes down every picture of every black person, anything that remotely looks black, African or anything. And she has him and she she doesn't speak to them. She emails them of mm-hmm. uh, the the, uh, the company that's coming appraisers. in. Mm-hmm. The, yes, the appraisers emails them. She has no contact. White guy shows up. Guess how much they valued her home for? $259,000. That's right. The only thing that was different was her black ass wasn't there. That's right. That's the only thing that changed. When she had a white guy stand there and say he was her brother, and she made sure she had no physical contact with the buyers, with the appraisers, that her, the home value more than doubled. And this is the thing. This is not an isolated case. This is not an, even an anecdote. It is a practice. And so when you look at that, that the only thing that changed, and so she was happy. This, this is what broke. This is what broke me. I have to say that she said this quote. Miss um, Nelson told the media, uh, in order for the value of her home to be accurate, she had to remove herself completely from the home. She was at first ecstatic that she did in fact get the value that she thought her home deserved, but then almost immediately after, she was heartbroken with the fact of what she had to do in order to get that value, which is not be present, which not is which is yeah, it's you know, and, and it's a commentary on on America and you know immediately what it says is the second my black hands touch something it goes down in value that's right and think about that let that sit with you that that is how America sees blackness and how they how we see whiteness and that's all of us how we see whiteness you can look at the value of whiteness in these numbers. It's an incredibly, um, there's a study that I um, cannot wait to read, uh, a two, eight, 2018 study. Now, and my, dude, this story we're talking about is this year. This is not five years ago, 10 years ago, 50 years, it's this year. Um, yes. And Andre Perry told uh, NBC News, the devaluation of assets in black neighborhoods, um, repeatedly what that shows is when a white person stands in for a black owner, you're literally seeing the intrinsic value of whiteness being played out. And in that vein and in that discussion, the thing that I that we were talking about, we continue to talk about is, we, you know, there are three that we know of that have been given media attention, at least, and I think probably the only, it sounds like, three black survivors of that Tulsa massacre, who the president, uh, President Biden met with and spoke with and people who have people have interviewed. They're all, all clearly over 100 years old. But our discussion uh, has been about, well, well, are there any white survivors of the massacre, anybody who's still alive who participated, they also would be children probably, but they were also those uh, people who, and most people don't move, I think to this day still don't move more than like 50 miles away from where they were born. So it stands to reason that there's been, and it's possible that nobody talks about it, that nobody passed on these stories because they are shameful and hurtful and hard. But 
that's to me like we I would like that I've seen an interview with one white reverend in the area who was amazing and who talked about how this is our communities. This is our everyone. We need questions, answers. We can't get to reconciliation until we get the truth about what happened. And that because that some of that wealth went somewhere. It was stolen. And that's right. And in saying that, what we're not saying is go go harass uh, every white person in Tulsa. But what we are saying is we have to sit down and have this conversation. And yeah, it sucks. It sucks that our ancestor did some crap things, you know, did some horrible, horrible, evil things. But if we can't discuss them honestly, and if we can't all cry together, be hurt together, figure out our rage together, we aren't going to move forward from it. Well, and here's the thing. The reality is around all of this, Truth is, there are people living off the wealth of the of of murder and this massacre. There are there's there are people in Tulsa right now who are rich, wealthy, money that got passed down, and they don't want that discussion because that means that we have to look at that. That's right, and that it wasn't honestly earned because it wasn't bootstrapped. It wasn't because Grandpappy went out and 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 worked hard. No, he went and. Stole it. He killed for it. He murdered for it. And that is the truth. Yeah. And but but and they don't want to see that. We'll be right back after these messages. Well, if you ever catch yourself thinking when looking in the mirror, I wish my under-eye bags would just go away. You're not alone. Bags and puffiness under the eyes are a problem for millions of American men and women. Until now, introducing my new favorite, the new GenuCell Serum with plant stem cell technology from Chamonix. Susan from New Jersey wrote me, I've been using GenuCell for a couple months. The puffiness around my eyes is gone. Even the crow's feet and small lines have disappeared and haven't come back. I love this product. I use it under my eyes, around the cheekbones, and on my eyelids. With its instant effects, Chamonix says you'll see results in the first 12 hours or your money back. They guarantee it. Order now and save big on Genucel's risk-free introductory offer. Go to lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie. That's G-E-N-U-C-E-L. For an instant 10% off your order, order now. You'll get the amazing Genucel XV face cream when you order the exclusive Genucel most popular package at checkout. That's love, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Stephanie. Lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie. Welcome back. Well, guess what? Trump is telling people he's going to be reinstated as president as early as August. All right. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, Frangela talking to any members of the FBI or Justice Department. We are not intel experts, but our running theory is Trump has got loose lips. So if we were you, we'd be looking for chatter around an insurrection in August. Thank you. Because what we already have the Republicans, you know, in the Senate who wouldn't vote for a January 6th commission, a commission just to find out what happened, how that happened. Because you know why? You know why they don't want that commission? Because they're going to do it again. Bam. Because it's still going on. And I want you in your minds to understand that, that no other country's flag, no other proposed country like the Confederate flag, no other flag has ever flown in that capital until January 6th of this year. I want you to understand that people walk around with swastikas. Okay, in the Capitol, that this is a continuing ongoing insurrection, which for reasons that Francis and I can't understand, we're allowing to be planned in front of our fucking faces. 
Exactly. We've got people in Texas, we've got Democrats who have to walk out because they they have to do something major and massive to, to bring attention to the fact that the GOP are trying to take away voting rights. We have got to get far more activated. I know we're tired, okay? But we want to battle. There is a war that is raging on in the GOP, and and, and we want to sit back and act like, okay, well, Biden and Harris have it. They don't have it. Because, you know, there is there the, when you look at 70% of, of Republicans who are believing mm-hmm. in and 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 participating in the big lie, that's a huge amount of people. What are we going to do about that? Well, and I think we need to ask ourselves how we would handle this if this were people who were believing in Al Qaeda. Mm-hmm. How would we handle this if this were ISIS? Would we be worried about whether or not they we talked them out of their crazy ideas? No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't be worried about reprogramming ISIS fighters. What we'd be doing is arresting them. There are people who are in Guantanamo to this day. Okay? There are people in jail in Michigan, Arab Americans in jail, to this day for 9-11. Yep, yep. And they didn't get into the Capitol. I'm telling you. And, you know, I, I saw a great meme the other day. If 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 this had been, if the attack on the Capitol had been a Muslim country, we would have bombed some country already that didn't have anything to do with it. That's right. We need to stop acting like this is a difference of opinion or like it's some, that's where I get very frustrated around the whole, we, you know, what are we get these people don't believe in it. I don't care what they believe in. They're traitors and insurrectionists. We have to stop them and we have to make it clear that their activities are criminal and the GOP is harboring them. The GOP is a part of a seditious movement to overthrow this country and get rid of the liberal democracy, period. And we have got this America First tour going on where they are from the stage screaming that the left are Nazis. And then you got another speaker coming on right after that saying that we should kill the Nazis. So what does that mean? That means that that's encouraging people to go out and shoot people who are not Republicans. That's right. Known felon, convicted felon, self-confessed felon, Michael Flynn, in fact, at one of these gatherings, insurrectionist planning mobs, literally said that there should be at like a Myanmar style coup on this government. Now he's tried to, people say walk it back. It has felt more like a run or a a sprint or a hop to me back. Mm -hmm. And And I just read, I don't know if it's true, but I just read on Twitter that Trump's put down his, or he closed his blog. I, and the, the supposition this person, several people have been making is because somebody finally told him that that can be used as evidence against him as he continually insurrects. Um, this is the thing, like, this is not funny or glib. And I get mad at people like Ari Melber for treating it like it is. This isn't, this is an actual ongoing radical, radical right Nazi fascist movement that we need to look at that way and handle that way. Yes, and that is our final word. Now it's time for emails, emails, trying to go get your emails. Thank you very much for writing us at frangelo08 at gmail.com. We love and appreciate you so much. Mm-hmm. This email is from Anne. It's actually, she's a Patreon friend, Anne M., and we want to thank you, thank you, thank you. 
She wrote, Frangela, I love, love, love your show. I am so happy to be a member. I'm a black woman from Chicago, currently living in LA, been working in the film industry below the line for nearly 25 years. I've struggled all my life with racial discrimination and something I call black survivor's guilt, which I love this BSG. When you wonder why or how you have been able to have a better life than most of your brothers and sisters. You both have a way of putting into words all the complicated thoughts in my head. Thank you so much. You have helped me survive this last year. I would be lost without you lost. Keep up the great work that you do. Stay safe, XOXO, better because we all know that no matter how nice you dress or how many college degrees you have, most of us still get followed in stores, can't get a taxi in NYC, struggle with dating, and get overlooked for jobs and promotions. Preach. Absolutely. And And you know what? I have black survivor guilt all the time. I experienced it a lot. I was telling Angela recently, uh, by the time I was 14, uh, I'm from the west side of Chicago. By the time I was 14, every girl on my block was pregnant or had had a baby. And uh, I was walking past uh, two girls one day when I was about a, a sophomore or junior in high school. And, uh, and they had been, we'd been friends when we were children, but they kind of grown apart. And one sister looked at me and said, don't even look over here. Keep going. You're going to get out of here. I don't even want you to come up on the porch. That was another kid. Yeah. That's yeah. not somebody's mama. That's not an adult. That was another kid saying that. Yeah. And you know what? I, and I do have that survivor guilt. I do look around my name. I wonder, would, would I be better serving black people by being inside of the neighborhood? Would I be better serving? How could I, would my service uh, to my community be better in those? I have all those questions. I, 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 am, I am racked with guilt often with those thoughts. Believe you me. So you're not alone. No, and we thank you for writing. And then this is uh, from uh, Michael G. We love you, love you. Two questions from a white American. Hi, Frangela. I've been pondering this for a couple of days now. I have two questions, and since you both are fully qualified Black Americans, I think you can help. Thank you. First question, I keep hearing the talking point that America is a Christian nation. My question is, how much better would America be if it were a Black Christian nation? Second, I was watching a show where two black parents had to have the talk with their child. My question is, if a white couple adopts a black child, especially a boy, when and how do these parents have the talk, especially since no one had the talk with the parents? I know these are somewhat humorous questions, but they're also serious questions that I definitely, what white, have no way of knowing. Thank you and keep doing a great job on your podcast and Steph show. Michael G. We love you, Michael. He's been a, he's been around for a long time. He's a good friend. Thank you. Oh, to your first question, I think that there's supposed to be a separation of church and state. Hello. I don't care if I don't I don't care if it's an Asian nation or a, a Native a nation. You know, I want people to practice what they want to practice, but I want that away from my laws. I don't right. want it in my government. I want it. I want it as far away from my government as possible because we are a nation of many different beliefs and non-beliefs, and we all get to practice and think and be the way we see best for our own person. 
as long as that belief does not inhibit anybody else's freedom. That's right. Absolutely. And, and I think that for my point, I, not only do I agree with that, but I think that I think that, and I think Michael knows this and this is why he put the question this way. It's when you think about the white evangelical movement, that's very specifically referencing a kind of evangelical movement, the white evangelical movement in terms of being yeah. racist and, and supporting an ideology that quite frankly, given my understanding of Christianity makes no sense. Um, that, and that doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter who's, and I think what Francis is saying, and I agree with this, is that this actually, we don't actually have an official nation. Um, and I think Michael Moses said, we don't actually have an official or state sanctioned religion in this country. And, and we need to remember that. And we need to be proud of that. Um, and the second question. Yeah. Per, uh, the, the talk, the reality is, is that first of all, even if you have a, a white child, if you have no people of color in your environment, then you need to look at how you're not even providing diversity for your own child. Less known if you've adopted a black child. If you've adopted a black child, and everybody that I've ever known who's adopted a black kid has made sure that that, that, that child has access to the community, that they have access to people that look like them, that they their parents regularly invite people and have friends and have close connections and have a community with people of color. So... That's what I would say that they, you know, you need to make sure that 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 child has access to people who look like them. And quite frankly, we talk about this in um, our friendship book that we were rewriting, uh, updating that you should you should diversify yourself. That's right. You don't need to have a black child to have black people. And that's not how we bring diversity to our lives necessarily by adopting people. That's one way. But um, I think that a simpler way, and and we have a a good friend who was kind enough when I said like last year or the year before that I I didn't do enough to be aware of world literature and other literature. And she sent me this great book that we haven't even had a chance to talk about um, by uh, a really amazing author, from from it doesn't matter but anyway um the point is that we need to create more diversity in our own lives i do you know we all do and that should happen without having to adopt humans um on top of the fact that i'm I'm gonna throw this out here maybe we could have the talk with every child because the reality is that that poor people have a problem with the police period Right. And I've, I've talked, I've had police when my car was stolen directly, directly say things to me that I was blown away by how direct they were. And these were two minority police officers, um, an Asian American and a black American who, who were based, who said these things. And the reality is, I think it would be great for white people to acknowledge whiteness with their families and their kids to tell their kids, you know, the way you go through this world is different than the way a lot of other people do. The way you we the way we inhabit this country is different. And maybe instilling in ourselves and each other what my mother told me repeatedly, which is you have a responsibility to stand up and stand with people um, against injustice or, or discrimination and great wrongs. And if we did that, if we all did it, it would go away. Yes. And now it's time for resistance. Thank you so much for, for, for being in the resistance and for doing these things. This is where we give you actionable items, things you can do to help. Yeah. We were uh, going to back to our discussion uh, about Tulsa. We want to invite you to look at reparations for slavery now. Um, we now have the power to make reparations for slavery 
real with H.R. 40, a bill that would set up a commission to examine the institution of slavery and its impact and make recommendations for reparations to Congress. This is not the actual reparations. This is just a commission even. We got to get to that. And this is from uh, Representative Barbara Lee. So momentum is building and the time to act is now. Send your message to Congress, to members of Congress, urging them to support H.R. 40. You can go to aclu.org slash donate to get more information. We wanted to talk a little bit about resistance on a more personal level and just say that um, this uh, year, last week, uh, my godmother, Virginia Bark, has passed away. Um, I was named after two women, Angela Yvonne Davis, a radical uh, activist who's a professor here in California, um, for Angela, and Virginia comes from from Ginny, Virginia Barkas. Um, she left this world, I'm a, with your indulgence, read her eulogy. Virginia Ginny Barkas left this world on May 21st, 2021, just as she lived on her own terms. Her doctors will undoubtedly list multiple organ failures causing her death. However, we believe it was her 94 years of fighting against conventional norms until she decided she had left enough of a mark to justify taking her final rest. Ginny was born in Los Angeles on September 3rd, 1926 to Irene and Ronaldo. She was a proud big sister to her brother, William. Her extreme intelligence took her to many educational institutions from coast to coast, most notably Cal Berkeley for her undergraduate degree and Harvard for her graduate degree. She outlived multiple uh, romantic partners and an ex-husband. She was an incredible single mother who allowed her four children, Alinda, Stephen, Robert, and Richard, more freedoms than present day CPS rules might deem appropriate. She instilled in her children the guidelines that quote, you are your own boss as long as you are a good boss. This sense of independence has been passed down to her nine grandchildren and eight great-grandchildren. In addition, she is survived by her spiritually adopted daughter, Sharon, goddaughter, Angela, and numerous others. Jenny touched many lives over the years and was a born educator. While our world is now a little dimmer, we are determined to carry on her legacy, a love of learning, witty sarcasm, and stubborn will. No services will be held, but a celebration of life will be determined at a later date. Her family would like to extend their deepest gratitude to Sutter Hospice for their support in helping care for her in her final days. Butterfly blooming, whimsical, floating beauty. And I wanted to read that not only because this is a very important person to me, but to illustrate something really important. I wouldn't be here doing what I do if it weren't for this one woman, Virginia Barkas. My mother, because my mother wouldn't be who she was and where she is if it wasn't for this one woman, Virginia Barkas. And I want to be clear, Virginia Barkas is white. Was white. Um, and she took an interest in my mother and, and cared for her and really did spiritually adopt her. And what she did is she made a huge difference in her life and she got her into Outward Bound and that my mother credits that with everything that got her out of the extreme poverty and really the absolutely, if you were going to guess where she'd be, it wouldn't be where she got, you know, to somebody who became the president of the National Bar Association, to the only woman to ever win a primary for mayor in the city of Detroit, to being the local activist and, and the incredible person with the incredible career she has had. And instill, she inst Jenny instilled those things in my mother and in me. And I say that to say to you that all these problems may seem insurmountable and they may seem like one person can't affect them, but we all can. You can affect people for generations, hundreds, thousands, maybe millions. If you just in your own life, it's because this Jenny didn't buy, didn't pay for her school, didn't have a bunch of money. She was a single mother herself. Didn't, what she did was care and take an interest. And that 
That is a radical and revolutionary act and an act of resistance against all of these things that we know we all hate. And so I say to us all, I give us all the Ginny challenge to look at our lives and look at our worlds and see if we can do a little something for somebody. And in that, I thank you. And I thank Lindy and her family. And of course, my godmother, who I miss. I'm Frances Callier. I'm Angela V. Shelton. We are Frances. Thank you so much for listening to the final word say a big thank you to our producer laura for especially for putting up with our challenges tech wise we love you and we love and miss you gail it's no surprise that newsmakers try to manipulate the audience they want you to believe that they are the one holding the line and they'll use any trick they can to get you there but don't let them fool you get unspun I'm Amanda Sturgill. I've been a reporter, and today I teach future reporters to cut the spin and think critically about what newsmakers say. My podcast, Unspun, shows you how to know when you're being manipulated by the news. Learn to spot the tricks and how to make up your own mind about what's true. So if you're tired of being fooled by the news, subscribe to Unspun today. Unspun, because you deserve the truth.